At Springfield Music, we started using Merchant Cost Consulting earlier this year. These guys are former banking and credit card reps who go and negotiate your processing rates on your behalf. Now, like most of you, we're pretty aggressive about shopping our processing rate around, so I wasn't sure they'd be able to save us much money. But boy, was I wrong. On average, they're saving us about 600 bucks a month. The deal is we split it 50-50 with them for so many months, and after that, all the savings are ours to keep. Plus, they keep an eye on your fees during this time to make sure those freaking credit card processors don't find a way to jack up your rate again. They're good folks, and they do what they say they do. Actually, in our case, they under-promised and over-delivered. They estimated about 500 bucks a month in savings, and it's been closer to 600 When you contact Patrick at Merchant Cost Consulting, tell him that Donovan Bankhead sent you. This does two things. One, they will pay me a slight referral commission. But more importantly, two, you'll get 10% off of your first month's bill if you choose to go with them after their free analysis. Listen, I wouldn't recommend it to you if it wasn't worth it. It'll only take a few minutes of your time. They handle the rest. Contact Patrick McClellan. His email is patrick at merchantcostconsulting.com. P-A-T-R-I-C-K at merchantcostconsulting.com. I'll even give you a cell phone number, 508-733-7622. And remember, tell them that Donovan sent you. Hello and welcome to the Music Retailers Podcast. I'm your host, Donovan Bankhead, and together you and I are going to listen to and learn from some of my favorite instrumental music retailers, manufacturers, well, anyone else that I think would be interesting. My goal is to provide a podcast where you can learn something new in every episode. Hey folks, so Jen has generously uh, offered to give you a 10% off your first order of any soldier straps. So if this is something that you would like to do, which I would encourage you to do this, if you are not a soldier strap dealer and you sell guitar straps or ukulele straps, any other kind of straps, you totally should. It's a great product. And as you've heard or will hear from listening to this episode, Jen is a great person and it's a great company. So to get this discount, just give her my name, Donovan. So email them or call them and tell them Donovan sent you and you'll get 10% off your first order. So today's guest is one of my favorite people and uh, Jen Tabor and I go way back. Jen is the owner of Soldier Straps, one of the coolest guitar strap manufacturers uh, in our industry. And Jen, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember we first met at a summer NAM show and we saw some of our people saw your products, thought they were really cool. They asked me to come by. And so I came by and looked at your straps and like, just immediately kind of had this like warm feeling like this, this kinship with you, like right off the bat, like you just, you know, uh, I think it was even like Sunday, I think it was or the Saturday, it was the final day of the, of the show. You had to be tired, you know, but you were just like the, the, the love and care you have in your products just radiates through you as well. And just kind of immediately had this connection. And, and that, that year I was on the best in show panel. And uh, so I was like, well, this has got to be my, I think you were either my, uh, I think you were my got a stock at product, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we picked up the soldier line since then. And, and uh, it's been just such a great seller and I've loved our relationship that we've had together. And then when you just recently saw 
Zach Phillips uh, post about being on the podcast, you were like, oh my gosh, I'd love to do this. And as soon as I saw your name, like, yes, like you're a terrific guest. So that was the longest intro I've ever done. So, <laughs> <laughs> but do you remember when we first met? Do you remember that? I, I do remember when do we you were... remember that because you were in the audience at the uh, the awards thing, too. Do you remember that? Or I think you were. Weren't you in the audience for when when I when I picked you for the whatever it was thing like thing I picked? Um, I I have been in the audience for all of the uh, best <laughs> show awards, and uh, I you know I love watching the people on on the panel. There's a good bit of humor there, so that's a good way to start Saturday or Sunday. And um, yeah, I mean though you're naming us best in show those little wins for small manufacturers are so meaningful like we go home and i mean i probably it made my day i probably did more sales that day because i had a you know i had a little superman cape on yeah you know from winning best in show so those things are huge for for us and so meaningful i think not just to us but to everyone but to be sure. recognized when you think that potentially no one's seeing you and you're standing in the booth and waving your hand like hey hey what about you what about you come over here let me tell you my story and what we've got um so uh yeah that's it's really meaningful and you probably did more for me than you know but oh well i'm happy to do it and especially someone who like makes such such a great product and is such a nice person to boot so i want to know like obviously we're going to talk a lot today about uh, soldier straps and stuff, but I kind of, I want to know what came before soldier, like, you know, what got you prepped and ready to be the point where you could open up like this cool indie guitar strap company? Well, I, uh, you know, the story builds from somewhere where you have no idea where it's coming from. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in something and you have to look back to see where you came from. But I, Started off uh, my career in two places. I'll say South Bend, Indiana. I went to high school and college there and was um, a cellist. I was always going to be, from the time I was 10 years old, I was going to be an orchestra director, hands down. I loved my orchestra teacher in um, MacArthur Junior High in the south, the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Her name was Sue Berge. I just wanted to be her. I wanted to spend every waking minute I could with her decided that that's what I was going to do. So everything I did from junior high moving forward was based around spending time and becoming an orchestra director, spending time in the music programs and uh, started off in South Bend, Indiana as a, what is it? A retail associate or phone person for Woodwind and Brasswind. So um, Woodwind and Brasswind was in town before they moved to their mega complex. I think I'm just a person who responds well to, uh, you know, praise because I remember my manager back there was John Bowles, which I have no idea where John Bowles is, but they at one point told me that I was the number one seller that week for, uh, you know, for products at, um, I keep wanting to say musician's friend, but it's not musician's friend. Woodwind and Brasswind. Woodwind and Brasswind, right. Yeah, yeah. I was the number one product seller. And that just sent me on fire. I was like, oh, this week's number one. I'm like, next week, I'm going to be number one. Next week, I'm going to be number one. And just kind of held my spot there. I think I was like 19. I was still going to music school, but I wanted a music job. Um so that's kind of where my career started out. Then I moved to DePaul, graduated DePaul with my education degree and went to work 
in the public schools and taught orchestra for 10 years. So while I was teaching orchestra, um, some of my college roommates said, we're forming a band. Do you want to be in the band? We need a bass player. I'd never played bass. I had played guitar. Um, and of course, all the strings, violin, viola, cello, joined the band at nights um, in Chicago, and we would play shows. Uh, and Soldier actually came from that band. So the guys in the band needed birthday presents one year. Their birthdays are two days apart. One's, I don't know, February 28th, and the other one's March 2nd. And I knew if I got one a flask and one a wallet that they would have wanted each other's gifts and, you know, I would have given the wrong thing. So I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to make them guitar straps out of, uh, you know, that match each of their outfits. So one of them always wore a stark white shirt, very, you know, he worked at an advertising agency. So he'd show up at band practice in his like, you know, kind of like business attire. And I made him a black strap that would with red on it that would stand out on his white shirts that he always wore and the other mm -hmm. uh, the other guy in the band he always had like those corduroy jackets on with the suede patches on the elbow and it was really kind of heady and stuff like that so i made him this over embellished really rich textured strap that was like brown and red and it would look good with his his jackets that he liked to wear and that's where soldier started i gave them each one of their birthday presents i swear they looked at me like i was crazy like what the hell is this and i was like this is your present so to take it whether you like it or not <laughs> and <laughs> did uh, they realize right away that it was something you had made or 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 did you did you tell them that how, how did that come about yeah, I told him, I told him I made it going, going back in my history. I have been, there were two things I always wanted to do. I was always interested in fashion and I was always interested in music. My parents told me there was no jobs in fashion. And I really had no idea what I would do if I was in fashion. So being a music teacher seemed like the stabler option and, sure. you know, and no one in their right mind goes to fashion school. So I became, <laughs> so I became a music teacher and I was really, you know, I was good at it. I was really good with the kids. I mean, I had, I think when I was teaching third grade, we would recruit third grade orchestra students and there are 55 kids in third grade and 52 of them enrolled in the orchestra program. And it was because I had had them as little kids. I taught, you know, I was training my orchestra students to be orchestra students when they were in kindergarten and second grade and first grade, you know, so I knew what skills I wanted them to have when they got to the instrument. And then by the time they, in, you know, applied or enrolled or joined orchestra, they already, I had already taught them so many, all the skills that I wanted them to have. Um, and they were just, we, we had a great time teaching orchestra. Yeah. The word you're looking for for that is brainwashed. You brainwashed them into joining the orchestra. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then I kind of would, uh, you know, the band director was mad at me because <laughs> yes. his enrollment was down and I was like, well, I can't speak to your enrollment. Yeah, my that's, enrollment that's your great. problem, not mine. <laughs> I was like, you can have all the kids that don't survive orchestra. Those are your grandkids. <laughs> that didn't, I don't know how well that went over, but um, you know, it was, it was even, but it's always hard to get kids in strings. So it felt yep. like it was really good to be able to get that leg up before they're just like, I need a trumpet. And I was like, 
at the end of the day, people are their instruments to some degree. So it's like, I'm not going to stop a trumpet player from being a trumpet player. They were born a trumpet player, you know, they just don't know it yet. So at least the kids who, you know, the nuance that's required for those string instruments, we can get through that process early and then they can join the band in fourth grade, which is how our our system was set up. Orchestra started in third grade, band started in fourth grade, and it really helped our school because it gave us a leg up and kind of balanced the the program altogether. Yeah, I think it's that way in most places. You're basically cheating the system by stealing all the band kids and putting them in orchestra through the power of brainwashing, which is fantastic. And you've always been interested in kind of fashion. I'm assuming, you know, when uh, during this time as well, like you're sewing and you're doing crafty type stuff. Has that always been like an interest of yours too? Yes. And this will just be a statement that will tell you how things work. I decided I was going to knit and somebody had taught me how to crochet. My friend's grandma had taught me how to crochet in second grade. So I think in, you know, in my twenties, I was like, I'm going to knit and I'll sit on the couch and cause I'm a fidgeter. So my hands have something to do. You can't just watch a movie. Your hands have to be moving. Right. Um, so I was like, I can knit while I'm doing this. I, get a pattern for an Aran Island sweater, which is the most intense. It's got crosses, it's got plus signs, it's got minuses in there. And I just decide I'm gonna make a scarf and then I'm gonna make a sweater. And didn't really know anything about it. The sweater ended up being rain, some rainbow pastel thread, God awful. And then not only that, <laughs> but they have this thing at the beginning where they're like, if you measure the gauge, you know, five stitches is two inches or something. I was like, I don't have time for this. It's this, it's like takes five minutes. Um, So I made the sweater. It was, mm, I don't know, like 40 inches wide. The sleeves were down, the sleeves were huge. And I would just wrap it up, stick it. And I'd be like, good, well, got a sweater. (laughs) And I'd drop it off there. So I, I was always making things for everybody. I paint pots for my friend's wedding. I would make little satchels for the ring bearers. I made pants out of curtains. I made a lot of clothes for myself out of curtains in high school because I didn't want to have what everybody else had. Mortified my cousin in the process. We, I would show up to English class. Oh, that was great. And she would just like crawl under a shell. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> Nobody has these pants but me. And she she was just, she wanted to fit in. And I was, you know, wanted to make sure that, um, yeah, that I that you stood, stood out. out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she wants to blend in. You want to stand yeah. out. And it was not, yeah. She would detach herself from me during English class. <laughs> yeah. So you give these straps to your bandmates. So as soon as I did that, and I have to say that one of the reasons our product is on seatbelt is because my dad worked on cars. So when I went to make the first two guitar straps, I found these fabrics for the guys and then was like, well, what do I put them on? I was like, oh, he gave me a box of remnant seatbelt. So I'll just sew them on the seatbelt, cut some leather ends out. The leather ends were supposed to look like a crest, like a, you know, like a, a family crest. That's where it all started. Our first strap pretty much is the exact replica of our product now. We got a little better at sewing. Um, but what happened next was, I made 10 more. And when we would play shows in Chicago, we would have t-shirts, we'd have some CDs and I'd lay the straps on the table. And then other bands that we were playing with, I remember the first band that bought our product was this band Heavens to Betsy. We opened up for Heavens to Betsy and one of the guys in the band bought our, our stuff. And it was such a win that somebody would pay money for this thing and wanted it 
that I, you know, got really excited. So I'd go home. It was just like that. I would just go home, make 20 more. And then eventually I got the courage to go to the first music store and I walked in to the music store and asked them Roughly what buy. year is this? Give, give me, put this, this in is, time for me. Uh, 2004. So the first straps gotcha. I made were in 2004. And like I said, because I was really ambitious about being a music instructor during college, anytime there was a job in Chicago that had to do with music, I was there. So I had taught at the Old Town School of Folk Music. I taught piano lessons to four-year-olds while their parents were getting coffee across the street. I did that probably for like two years. Taught at the Chicago or, you know, worked with the Chicago Symphonietta, did, you know, just did all these little music related jobs. So when I started making guitar straps, I figured I'll go back to Old Town School of Folk Music because it was it was safe and they would consider this crazy idea of me selling them guitar straps first i walked into them first they said yes i walked into another store the next day which was a uh, um rock and roll vintage and he said yes and then it just became a game of yeses i would call while I was, you know, during my lunch break or after school when I was teaching and I would just make phone calls and I'd say this weekend, I'm going to be over on Saturday. You know, I have this product. Would you be interested in seeing it? And if people said, yes, I, you know, I got ready, took them product, played the part and waited to see what the outcome was. The first response was pretty good. There were like the first three stores I went to, two said yes, one said no. I figured those were pretty good odds. And mm-hmm. then I just started making appointments like to Milwaukee. Like when's my next three-day weekend from school? On Saturday, that weekend, I'll go to Milwaukee. And we went to Milwaukee. I stopped at six stores. Five stores picked up our stuff, um, made friends with the owners and stuff like that. And then it was on to the next place. So there's a couple layers to this this story, which is, one of the places that I found fabric in Chicago was just this big old warehouse. I had, you know, had served, it's like one of those places you go and you just climb on top of boxes. You have to take a shower when you get out because you're so dirty and you have no idea what you're going to find, but there's hidden treasures that nobody wants and boxes of buckles and whatever it is. So my third trip out of town, I went to uh, St. Louis and showed up at Killer Vintage and I showed him the straps and I did the same spiel. Like I'm making this project in Chicago. It's all in recycled seat belt. We're hand making everything. Um, Would you be interested? And he's like, I already have those straps. And I said, no, you don't. Uh, You can't. I just started making them. And he pulled a box out from underneath the counter and started lifting out these old straps. And he's like, this is, these are the case candy that comes when people return guitars. And I was so confused. I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I went home, I did some research. And then I found out from a Dutch website that Ace and Bobby Lee from the 60s and 70s had manufactured in Chicago. And what the fabric that I was choosing for my guitar straps was the original dead stock from the Ace and Bobby Lee company that hadn't left the factory. So essentially the material that was Hendrix Woodstock strap or Dwayne Allman, all of this was the original material that I was buying from this warehouse. And then I, you know, just started doing research and really felt like, oh my God, I'm onto something. <laughs> yeah. Like I found this stockpile. So essentially the first two, the first year I was in business, first two, three years, I spent all of my money buying out fabric from this warehouse. Like I was like, I have to clear this warehouse, you know, and it was very, 
hand hand to mouth. Like we had, yes, we didn't know what, I didn't know what a business was. I didn't know how to run a business. All I knew is that I had this good little side business that would help me. I have to say that I was also probably like five months pregnant, you know, with my first child when this was happening. So this was like diaper money for me. I was like, oh my God, this is great. Going to the zoo, we're buying extra diapers, you know, and, and that's kind of how, um, how the product started. And I really credit um, Killer Vintage because he was one of the first people that let me know that I had something special. So a year into this, we start uh, looking at places like where can we retail this product? And I see that Lollapalooza has a green street. Oh my God, wouldn't that be great if we could get into Lollapalooza's green street? And, but you have to be green. Well, that sucks. We're not green. So three days in, I come home from school one day and I'm like, oh my God, we're green. All of our stuff's on recycled seatbelt. We can apply. We might qualify for this. And it was like a year before I realized what my selling points were, which is that original dead stock fabric, vintage, uh, or, you know, vintage fabric, recycled seatbelt, pulling it out of cars, school buses, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, handmade goods made in the United States. And that's when we kind of, that's when I started like banking on these are how you this is how you sell the product because everything is learning from scratch you know everything in this in my process was learning from from scratch uh, there was right. no guide and and through doing doing uh Lollapalooza I kind of met other vendors and saw that there's a way to have a business doing this this was probably 2006 2007 By the time 2008 rolled around, I decided that we had about 200 retailers across the country. And I decided that I was going to try to make a move to maybe see if I could do this business full time. And in 2008, we got a distribution order from a Japanese customer that was basically my um, teaching salary. And that was my call to action. I called school. I said, I think I need to take a year leave of absence and just figured I would give it a go because somebody was covering what I was going to be making. And this was my opportunity to, you know, see if I could make it stick because also when the economy fell out and was the (laughs) most terrifying thing that I did was quit my job with my health insurance and all that when we hit a recession, but you know, who knew that that was coming? Somebody else did not me. And somehow we made it through that. Well, you had, I mean, you had such a great product and such a great story. And I, I remember hearing bits of the found materials story, but I never got like the full story, you know, that whole, I just, I remember the whole thing at that time, it was just so neat that here's this company that's finding these abandoned products, whether it's like the uh, seatbelts and and, uh, finding another use for them and then using old fabric that's, you know, not available anymore and coming up with, you know, making these straps that were just like the the historic straps that, you know, are in all these album covers and uh, concert footage and stuff like that. And how neat that that would be happening today and that it's this independent person doing it not like just some big company or whatever and just the story just really resonated even in even you know especially during that time and you're making a like a durable product like a product that would hold up and last so you get into a recession and you've got a great story and a cool product and a product that will last like 
yeah, like people are gonna gonna get behind that. It's a tough time to launch a business, but like yeah. <laughs> they're still gonna get behind it though. So well, I also think that, you know, one of the things that for me was the begin, you know, one of the things for me that was the really the start of the business was the idea that I wasn't creating guitar straps, but I was identifying personalities and matching product to the music you listen to, the style of guitar you wear, what you're wearing on stage, like all that stuff was right there in the beginning of creating two pieces for two different people. And as soon as we walked into the first store and they said, yes, my first thought was, well, I have to go service more people. I, you know, what about the punk rock kids? What about the, you know, what about the minimalists? What about the, this? And so Every, yeah, not everybody wants the hoot nanny strap, right? <laughs> no, 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 not everybody wants the hoot nanny strap. And I just wanted to make sure that they were all covered. So, you know, at this point, our catalog's probably up to a different, uh, you know, around like fifteen hundred different materials that we make product out of. I'll also just go back for a second because the first time we made a website. I think it was like 2006 or 2007, about a year in, we were making a website. And I asked one of my photographer friends to come over and take pictures for the website. And she just looked at our product and was like, oh, I wish I could use this on my uh, camera. And that night we had camera straps. I was like, whoa, yeah, here's my next thing. We have, you know, and then it started really opening up to uh, not just musicians, but everybody likes the, you know, everybody wants to have a piece of this, like, let me figure out ways to do that. So after Lollapalooza, we started doing more and more uh, retail festivals, whether it was like the Renegade Craft Fair, we were one of the first uh, companies at the Renegade Craft Fair. I don't even think Etsy had started at that point, because Etsy was advertising at the craft fairs that we were at. So there's really in Chicago and the early 2000s, there was this huge craft movement and we just kind of fit right in and went along, you know, made a lot of friends and kind of went just down that path. We started after the craft shows, we started doing music festivals and I found so much right now. I tell people as an adult, like, oh, I did tons of music festivals and they think, uh, you know, like I'm just some hippie kid, like twirling in the field. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, 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 I get that. But it was so much direct communication from the customer and they'd be sitting at the the straps or the belts or the headbands or the cuffs or whatever I had come up with for that show and would just be going through and they I would hear the comments like oh you can only get this in big stores oh you can only get this product in big cities and I remember one time uh, I was in New Orleans and somebody, there was like a 16 year old girl who was looking at the straps and I said, oh, that's one's from Panic at the Disco. And she goes, I know. And I was like, well, you know, thinking in my head, like, well, I've got a cell phone number and my, you know, in my phone here, <laughs> I can reach out to them for you. But, um, but I loved being treated as just the annoying worker at the booth who was like, you know, trying to act like they knew more than the customer. And so I just let her have her moment, fish, you know, so there's, there was so much feedback that I would get about, oh, I just wish this was longer. And I would watch people strategically, you know, not realizing that I was doing it, but I would watch people go through and like pick and make their selections. It's be like, you know, Target watching the moms shop in the clothing aisle. Yeah. See how many things they pick up. You see how they weed out their decision. One, and then another key point is I started realizing how broad the selection could be. 
when we somehow found this one fabric, it was like 3D, had white with anchors and wheels on it. It was obnoxious. It was just, it was so cheesy. And I made one strap out of it. And I was like, no one's ever going to buy this. And I had somebody and he came up to me and he's like, how much is this? I was like, uh, gave him the price. And he's like, I have to have it now. I have to. And I was like, great. And then I just realized there's really, I'm not going to limit myself. Cause it's also the same time. I, I can't remember if shark tank came out then, but shark tank has been, you know, watching people on shark tank and they're like, narrow the product offering. Don't give them too many options, make five things, make them all black. And, and here I have this business that completely goes against everything that everyone's being taught and mm -hmm. you're questioning yourself. Like, am I right? Are they right? Do, uh, do I have the confidence in myself to just fully believe in what I'm doing and move forward without questioning this? Like it's working, but everybody tells me it's not supposed to be working. So how do you manage that? Because I'm not the smartest person in the room, you know, right. Like they're on TV. So yeah, just kind of trying to build confidence to continue going down the path when you're never sure if you're doing the right thing anyways is right. Yeah. But the customers, the customer feedback is what kind of kept me going. Yeah. In that direction. Listen to you talk about that reminds me, I, I just, I've owned this book forever, but never read it. And I uh, was looking for something to start reading and grabbed um, Why We Buy by Paco Underhill. And I don't know if you've ever read that or not, but that process you described of watching customers, how they interact with your product and select your product and using that as feedback to refine and improve your uh, product is exactly what his entire book's about. You, you, you know, even when you're mentioning about like how Target was watching, you know, moms shopping through Target and, and stuff like this is the guy who started all that. You know, he mm -hmm. was the person who started doing consumer research and watching consumers behave and, and seeing how they do it and getting that hands-on experience of watching to see the type of things someone picks up and do they pick it up and you know, really study it and hold it and feel it and keep it and purchase it or do they put it back and if they put it back why you know having that experience is uh gosh it's just tremendous market feedback that you really can't get any other way you know maybe uh, you get you put a, a focus group together you get half the information and it's only 10 percent as good you know and but getting that real consumer behavior interaction with your product is critical yeah. I mean, we would also have people come up and they'd say, oh, I want this, but I want it this way. I want this belt, but I want it to, I want to put my own buckle on it and um, it needs to snap on and off. And I would take every single one of those suggestions as the next thing that I need to do. Because if there's one person asking, you know, there's, there's more people that want it, but I'm always concerned being, if I get, I feel personally, if I get detached from those conversations that I will miss the things that they're not telling you. Like everybody who comes into a store and picks up a guitar and then decides not to buy it. There's a story. There's a, the complete yep. conversation that's going on in their head. And more than anything, I want to know what that conversation is because they could be wrong about what you know what they're thinking and and just getting them out of the conversation really helps them be involved and and usually will result in a better sale about like what are you thinking about this what do you not like about it and people are i think hesitant to 
give us negative feedback face to face. Like that's a harder thing to do. It's a harder, it's easier to be like, I love it. It's great. Mm -hmm. It's everything I ever wanted. But when there's some sort of problem, they don't necessarily want to address the problem unless you invite them to address the problem. And then they'll give you your real thoughts. And I feel like we've made a lot of progress in those areas as well, where, you know, anybody who looks at my product, I can already tell you what the problems or what the, what the things that I'd want to do or what's coming next, because I've, invited those conversations in. And this will go back to one of my major themes of being a musician, which has been coming up a lot for me since starting a business, which I think one of the best things that I learned being a musician is being able to accept critique. If you think about being a, you know, a piano student when you're seven years old, you have a, my piano student teacher showed up every week his job was never to tell me I was great. You know? Right. Yeah. His job was to tell me, Oh, that was good for trying. Now do this, 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 this. And then the same thing with the cello teacher, the same thing in music school through college, it only gets more intense. And then you find out that music is this ultimate unattainable goal that no one's ever going to meet the ultimate expression. No one's ever going to play the notes fast enough. You know, there's, if you have one piece, you're missing another thing. And uh, really, uh, being able to accept a full critique and not take it personally, but take it mm -hmm. as a goal of the, this is what I'm going to do because I'm going to be better than I was last week um, has been hugely helpful because I don't think anyone can truly insult me by telling me that I'm doing something wrong. You know, if there's something I don't know and you're like, hey, Jen, you need to you know, know more what people are saying about your product. I'll go, okay, let me go figure out how to find out more about what people have to say about my product. And I think where people get stammered sometimes is when they're like, I'm 100% right. Right. You know? And when they're hundred percent right, that door is so closed. So just being a musician has given me quite a leg up because I've been trained to be Critique, critiqued or criticized and and have it's such an important part of it you know you, you saying that reminds me of another nam show experience i had with another vendor it was the cooper stand guy the guy who makes the folding guitar stand that folds up and like can fit in your pocket and in his defense this is on the nam show like you know at at at, at a nam show when you've got you're busy you're on your feet like it's exhausting it's loud like everyone nerves can kind of get frayed and i remember we had gone up and and looked at it because someone had told us about this cool stand that folds down and we had looked at it and this was his i think it was the first design that he had brought to his first year at the nam show and we were looking at some of the, the contact points where the guitar sits and we just felt like that it there was spots where the guitar would touch bare wood and could negatively affect the finish and so when we asked him about it and he got so irate, like, uh, and was so angry. And, you know, I remember even telling him like, Hey, I'm just like asking about this. There's no reason for you to get so upset. Like, but it just looks like this is a spot that the guitar is going to touch, you know? And I'm thinking, I'm always thinking of this stuff, not necessarily from like a home user's perspective of gently using a product. I think about it. Like if I have this sitting in my store and someone 
you know, tosses a guitar on it, will it damage the the guitar? Yeah, and he got right. so angry, he basically like kicked us out of his booth. And then I'm like, f that guy, you know. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I've hated him ever since. <laughs> it's totally unfair. Like I'm sure if I met him, he's a, a delightful guy. But it's an example of someone who's just like, it's just it can be hard to take criticism over something you've created. You know, if someone's to tell you like your kids kind of a jerk and sort of ugly, like you know, it's sort of hard yeah. to go like. You know, you're right. You're right. Like, <laughs> but it's so great that you, you know, can take that and take it constructively. Well, I mean, I just think of if I do what they say, I'm going to sell more product. Like at the end of the day, I'm not here to hamper myself. Um, and, you know, and and the selling of product goes back to another thing that I am truly passionate about, which is being a, a good employer. So the more product I sell, the more people I can hire, the more people I can hire, the more people that are in mundane jobs that they're not passionate about that I can like give them um, some skills or a career or, you know, I don't, I, I don't expect anybody to sew with, be a sewer with us for the rest of their lives. But, you know, if I can positively impact them um, through, our product and be able to give them another skill or another tool or another layer of confidence. Um, that that's a huge win for me. Most of the people that we employ do not come in with any sewing background and I don't mm -hmm. encourage it um, either. We used to hire fashion designers from Chicago, uh, the Chicago, you know, art schools and stuff like that when we, we were there and they would come in and they would just be so frustrated because, you know, we're not making clothes. This isn't like silk, and stuff. It's like an industrial product. And if you think about right. motors, motorcycle seat covers, you know, all of any stitch on a motorcycle seat, you can see it. If there's one out of place, you can see it. So, and that's the same way it is with, with our product is there's a, there's a perfection that's required in order to make it valuable. And, and everybody on in the company needs to be on board with that mission. I mean, we've got like double checks, like nobody's double check. It's like, if you touch it after they touch it, then you have to inspect their work. And, you know, and they see me all the time. If I'm making something, I'm, I'm taking my part stuff apart when it needs to come apart. And I'm just like, and I will make a show of it. I'll be like, yep, I messed this up. It has to come apart. We can't send this to a customer. And so we've really got, everybody's super proud of their work. And there's a really high quality standard just because it doesn't have to be a big, I don't make it a big deal. Like I yeah. Before I got here, I was in the shop teaching someone how to sew a headband. And she was like, I don't get it. And I'm like, you're, you're actually a lot closer than you think. And I have never taken a sewing lesson in my entire life. It's just trial. It was all my own trial and error. And I want it to look great. So there's, there's nothing that anyone who comes in after me, if they don't have the, you know, if they aren't willing, if they're willing to do it, their, their stuff's going to look just as good as mine and you know. i love that you have the vulnerability to you know even take apart your own work uh in front of your employees i think so many times as leaders managers bosses uh, leaders i'm gonna stick with leaders that's the best word uh, uh well bosses <laughs> tend to be the type of people that feel like they can't they can't admit when they're wrong they can't take their work apart in front of someone else. They feel like they have to be the best. That's why they're the boss. But leaders understand that we all make mistakes, that nobody's perfect. And we can all admit when we had an error. 
You know, there's no shame in that. And certainly when the leader says like, oh, screw this one up, I've got to redo it. Then it signals to everyone else, like, it's okay. You know, you're not working in a sweatshop where like, you, you know, you must do this a certain way or you're going to be punished. You know, I believe yeah, you, you want them to do it a certain way, but like that you, you can't have any errors or whatever. Like, you know, you're human and accepting the, the people for where they are. I think that's really great. Yeah. It's, it's a testament to the kind of nice person that you are, you know, oh. that you care for folks like that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that, 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 that ethic you have, I, I just, I think that resonates through your product, you know, it certainly resonates through you and it resonates through your, your product. I, th- I think that's why one of the big, big reasons why you've just had success really from day one, you know, is that people can see that it's not just about like, it's not that you just don't give a shit about any of it. Just, you're just, I just will sell whatever it takes to make this money. Like, you know, like you care about what you're doing. You care about the people you're doing it for. Like there's more to it. And with that, people are happy mm-hmm. to give you money in exchange for it. So when's your, when was the first NAM show? Do you remember that? I can't remember because we almost backed out of the first NAM show. I was like, so I was like, we've got a good thing going on. No one needs to know about it. Let's just hide in this little corner of the world and like sell to our 200 dealers and maybe we'll get 230 by the end of the you know year or something like that. I was highly terrified of, you know, the larger companies coming in and copying our product and kind of taking this thing away from me because I will also have to say that I had many conversations with myself where I was like, really, there's something I did. I found a hole where nobody was doing anything. And like, how in the world did that happen? Like, how was I given the gift of being able to establish that there was a hole somewhere and then the resources to do it? So that was, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing has just been crazy to me from the beginning, but I'm on the train, I'm at the front and I'm just keep taking as much crazy as I can. Um, <laughs> so my, my first NAM show might've been in like 2007. And um, it's so funny. I had a friend in Chicago. He came up to me after show. He's like, you're mean. And NAM. and I was like, yeah, I pretty much had like my fists up the whole time. Like, what do you want? What do you want? Or, you know, are you, are you real or, or are you like, a company who is, you know, I had no lay of the land for the NAM show at all. Gotcha. I just you didn't know there was a wolf in sheep's clothing that was coming into the booth and well they were they were all right of course they, they always do it's part of the show the, yeah 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 but I I had no idea how to manage that so the first show went really well that's like I said it had to have been in 2007 because that's where we got our you know we got a large distribution order and then I I quit school quit teaching. So yeah, 2007. And then we've been there ever since until this year, you know, right. I made myself a 10 year NAM show award. That's right. In 2017, I would call, I got my uh, little NAM uh, representative. I was like, do I get something for being here for 10 years? I'm like consistently, like I haven't left during a summer, you know, cause in, we all yep. felt that when all the large manufacturers left, and we still showed up. I was like, I want, I want recognition for that. And they were like, we'll give you another NAM coffee mug. And I was like, I'll take it. It's great. I, was like, <laughs> I love those mugs. And then I just went out that night, I think, and I made myself my own banner out of neon paper and like stuck it to the side of the booth. I was like, I gave myself one of those badges and it said happy 10 year anniversary. And I was like, if you won't give me one, I'm giving myself my own one. Uh, so, yeah. I love it. I love it. So where did the name soldier come from? 
And for if there's anyone that's not familiar with it, maybe you're only a school music dealer or whatever, and so you haven't seen these. It's not spelled soldier the normal way. It's spelled like soldier. So where did that name come from? Such a great name. Thank you. Well, I kept thinking of, you know, I'm into this like kind of 60s, 70s vibe. And the there was really a picture of the Kent State shootings of the hippies putting flowers in the barrel of the guns. Um, and uh, that was kind of the image that was going to, you know, encapsulate the brand. My daughter at that time was six months old. And we noticed that she really liked dancing to the killer song, I've Got Soul, But I'm Not a Soldier. And the whole thing kind of tied together. It's like soldier is the name because this was, she would dance more to that song than the other ones. It was probably just a good groove, but right. and that's where I got the name soldier. So it was kind of those two things happening right around the same time. And, you know, you sit on these things. For me, I like sit on them for three days and then the epiphany comes, you know, after the fact. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or maybe not after the fact, but it takes a couple of days for the two things to come together. Um, I love naming brands and other things. I have so many side brands that I want to start uh, because I come up with a great name and the name has the story attached to it for me. So soldier really, I feel like I would show up to NAM shows and I'd showcase a new product and they were like that's not soldier and I was like well I it is because I just made it and you know kind of the thing right. in my mind the things that I make turn into soldier so soldier had its so a soldier had a story and a history and for me to get out of that story and the history to be able to do other creative things I started realizing that I might need to come up with another brand that does this thing, like, you know, super dark metal, like, you know, not scary metal for me at least, but just like those people, maybe they're not finding their home in soldiers. So I'm going to have to create another brand so that soldier can also work for them in the process of just starting to investigate branding and who the company is and what it's supposed to do and all that kind of stuff. I just found that, you know, that it really helped me determine who the soldier brand is going to be. And I feel like I have, I have a good handle on that. And now it's just a matter of communicating that vision to everyone I can meet, everyone I meet and everyone I come across. So you went from selling to a few local shops, then you had a couple hundred shops. Do you know how many stores you're in today? Well, today is a weird, weird day. We have, you know, we have active dealers, we have inactive dealers. Um, I really haven't done the roundup of who's left, who's doing what, and then there's new people coming in all the time. One of the recent stores that we've has just done a tremendous job with our product is Mom and Dad's Music. There's a new store that opened up in in Nash or in uh, Tennessee. I think they're just selling through a product like nobody's business, which I, I have to call her and find out what what she's doing yeah um, we've had probably about 500 u.s dealers we also have worked with sam ash when best buy carried music equipment in their stores for a little bit we were part of the best buy um we distribute to 13 countries overseas yeah that's kind of where it's at right now but like i said i can't i don't have the exact number because yeah things are in flux at the moment with sure uh, well and with a uh, an accessory product too, uh, like, like guitar straps, you know, dealers can kind of come and go and come back and return and, 
you know, it just, it, 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 it will come into someone's assortment, could go off their assortment for a while, then, then comes back. I mean, it's, so I, I get that it's a bit of a moving target. So, yeah. well, we're trying to keep it more in than more out. Well, yeah, of course. Because, yeah. Because I have more people that um, I could be providing jobs to. So, right. So for any of you that bought soldier straps that aren't buying them now, like yeah, let's you know, get back on the yeah, let's get on get it. Get your shit together. Let's <laughs> buy some straps, yo. Yeah, exactly. And now you're also, I mean, you you mentioned, but you're making all kinds of other stuff other than just straps. You've got dog collars and all kinds of like other products. Like if it use you mentioned the camera strap. Like if if something needs a strap, like you can make it. You and you're also making ukulele straps, which is not not unusual necessarily, but like you know good quality ukulele strap there's not a lot of those out there so you're doing that as well i i see soldier as a complete lifestyle brand i think that you know what i have learned about the brand is that it 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 goes across all religions it you know it means something to religious people we have lately this last year we've had a lot of people trying to infringe on our trademark because um they love the name as well and they want to use it in yoga gear and so i see how it means something to the yoga people it means something to the um athletes where you know it's like work hard but do it with you know do it with a meaningful life and so really right now what i'm trying to do is just capture all those things and provide that back to the customers. I don't, I see soldier will always be in the music industry. And I think that it's great that it originated from the music industry and that it has a history there, but you know, our product has trans translated into the fashion industry. So well, if you, if you look at, I'll just leave this here, but if you look at the quote unquote purse bag straps, mm -hmm. that are, they call guitar straps there's a reason why they look like our product. There's tons of guitar straps, but you know, the, the translation of soldier being on high profile artists and then people wanting to make purse straps. I, I'm taking responsibility for that one as well. <laughs> Honestly, the luggage straps and the case straps and all that kind of stuff. The, when I left teaching, I made every kid a different colored seatbelt strap. And they were like Christmas, you know, for the kids, because I wanted to give them something from me when I left. And it was great because they knew which violin was theirs because mine has a neon one and I stuck this pin on it. So right. um, yeah, the whole, the all encompassing nature of the products we make has just been something that I've been doing since the beginning and something that I wanna continue to build on. I see a real uh, future for us in the branded merchandise and just putting our name on it. Because like I said, girls would come to me at the booth and they'd say, oh, I don't play guitar, but I'd love to wear this. And we made belts, you know, right. oh, I, I don't wear belts, but I, and then we made headbands. And so it's right. just gone. And then the other thing that is like a personal game is that each one of these little products is another way to continue my mission of using the resources you have and keeping them out of the landfill. So when nothing, when it doesn't make a guitar strap anymore, it makes a dog collar. When the fabric's too short to make a dog collar, it makes a headband. And when it's too short to make a headband, it makes a cuff. My smallest thing that we make is a little pick holder that goes onto the side of our wallets. And you can, the shop, if they need to throw stuff away because my scrap bins have gotten too big, 
I say, do it when I'm not here. I don't want to know about it. Don't tell me about it. And you better leave <laughs> something there. So I don't know that you did it. Because right. I'm like, I am a total scrapper. If I can find something that's being unused and turn it into a win, that's, that's my own personal game with myself. Sure. You know, yeah. I keep around all the remnants and the little leftover things until there's literally shreds because I don't know what products I'm going to make in the future. And I might need that, you know, I might yeah. need that for some samples or something. So in our shop, we really are practice, even though they probably wouldn't even know it. We really practice reduce, reuse, recycle right? in, in a major way. Yeah. But it, yeah, that's like a personal mission that I get the willies yeah. off of participating in. Yeah. So I, I want to fast forward and talk about what happened in 2018. I remember, I'm sure a lot of people were, were uh, somewhat befuddled uh, when you uh, became a brand director for Levy's Straps, which is uh, owned by, by Gator. T t tell me kind of what happened. How did that come about to be? Did, did you still keep Soldier at the time? Were you doing them concurrently? T tell me the story behind all that. Yeah, like I said, I, I'm an opportunist. I will. I like jumping on things. I, I'm willing to take risks. Part of the reason why I'm here, but um, how that happened. So I had seen an ad in one of the Music Trades magazine about Gator having. Let me back up. 2017, we moved out of Chicago and moved from Chicago to Southwest Michigan, which is basically um, South Bend, Indiana. And one of the reasons we moved here strategically is we were spending so much money on just rent in Chicago to be there. Artists were coming by and they'd call us, but I figured I want to be able to still keep like that as kind of a home base and be able to get back when people think we're in Chicago and the artists call us and we would go meet with them. But I need to lower my manufacturing costs. Like no one in their right mind is manufacturing product in Chicago. It's the dumbest thing. I should have gotten right. out of that a long time ago, but you know, I lived there and I loved it. So we came back to South Bend, Indiana, which is also where I went to, high school and college and worked for the woodwind and the brasswind and i know the population here i know that it's like you know one of those rust belt cities there's still a lot of activity so we came back here um i read in a music trades article that gator was distributing two sweet water through their resources in fort wayne and i had reached out to crystal and i was like hey would you be interested in you know distributing the soldier product we could you know we're close we could you know there's not a lot of shipping it might work out well and at that point they had said no we're not interested cuz we're um, starting we're starting our own our, our, an accessory line and i was like well you know there's not much i can do about that fast forward 6 months to nam i show up at nam and Somebody says, did you hear what happened to levies? And I said, no. And they said, well, Gator bought levies. And then somebody, you know, one of their industry people walked me over and introduced me to Crystal. And I was befuddled right there because I was like, aren't you the same person I just talked to six months ago? You know, and um, <laughs> it was, I, it took me a minute to catch on to that. This was the same thing that was going on. So then she invited me to come down to Fort Wayne and have lunch. And we just started talking. And then at one point she said, would you be interested in making a collection for Summer Nam, like a Levy's collection? I said, sure, we should do a co-branded one. And then I will also just make you another 12 piece line. Because it, for me, it was like, it would be, I think the co-branding thing is great because it, it's powerful messaging not to be scared. Mm -hmm. You know, it said it says a statement like, 
we're the hugest strap company in the world and we can still partner with this little thing and we can still retain our place. And for us, it's cool because it's like, yeah, we were important enough to matter to this company. So I wanted to do this co-branded thing. I thought it was beneficial for both. And then the 12 piece line was just like, I get to be creative and stretch and show you what I know about people's preferences and patterns and colors and all these things that I've learned from my market research. So then after Nam, she offered me a position as brand director with Levy's. At that moment, I thought that, you know, we had been kind of talking for six months. I thought that there's two things that can happen. One is potentially that all the work that I've done with Soldier would be, you know, could have been the stuff that led me to this point to run this large company. And then if, if it doesn't work out and they hate me, then I have my, I have Soldier that I can go mm -hmm. back to. We, I had talked for a second about selling uh, the business to, to Gator and stuff like that, but it just didn't, it didn't work out. It wasn't the right fit. And I, they were really on their own mission, having just bought levies. So um, my partner ran Soldier and I accepted the position for levies. So Soldier was running the whole time that I was working at levies, but they're two, you know, they're two completely different operations. One of the appealing things to me about going to levies was I felt, you know, my resources have always been, I never went and took out the business loan. It's really hard to explain to people how you're going to make money doing guitar straps. It's not as visible as socks. It's not as visible as starting a T, you know, and I just, there are so many questions. Well, and it's the same shark tank mentality. You go to a bank and they're like, narrow it down to five products and get in guitar center. And I'm like, but I've survived without guitar center. I'm like, that's why right. we're here is because we're the special thing that you can only find in major cities and stuff like right. that. You know? So like, again, my story is not lining up with, with what the expectations of people are for small businesses. I really saw levies as the way to like fully expand my wings without limitations. And I figured what the, what the heck, let's try it out. So I took on the brand um, and did not walk into my shop for a year and a half, even though it's probably 0.3 miles from my house. I knew that if I went there, somebody was going to ask me to do something. And I just didn't feel like that was fair. Like I am, I have my own morals and I have to live with myself at the end of the day and sure. trick it whoever you want, but it wouldn't feel right. And I have been a boss and an employer and I would never want anyone to do that to me. So um, it was just, that was what was fair in my mind was just to like, take a, take a detour. Um, I also thought that if soldier needs to be a real business, it can't be, I mean, it can be me at the front of the train, but it's got to be able to function without me as well. Like, and although yeah. we, I never went on a vacation, probably like once or twice, like that, you can't live like that forever either. So soldier's going to have to stand on its own. This is your test. And then I'm going to go see what I can pull off over here and try to recreate the thing, recreate something else and kind of build on it with, without the restrictions that have been put on me by my own business. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, totally. So I, I jumped in and really found myself uh, all over loving manufacturing. I loved the processes of building things, of teaching people, uh, you know, I learned things from them and they learned things from me. I spent a lot of the, a lot of time and a lot of com in communication with the levies factory 
in uh, Nova Scotia. And then I was flying down regularly to Tampa uh, to work with the Gator sales team and marketing teams down there and kind of found myself doing exactly the same thing I was at Soldier. I'm doing sales, I'm doing marketing, I'm directing the brand, I'm creating the product, I'm teaching people how to make that product, I'm giving them sources, uh, you know, I'm like went to a lot of trade shows and really tried to like bring levies, uh, you know, refresh their product. So one of the things I did is I brought in vinyl, we started making vinyl goods, we moved from levies leathers to just levies and kind of rename Re rearrange that logo and the messaging to be all encompassing and um and then you know we started banking on the kind of naturals they again they showed me this hemp they're like we've had this hemp roll sitting here forever we have nothing to do with the hemp roll I'm like let me go think what I can do with this hemp and I right. came back and I'm like oh my god we're gonna make hemp straps with cork ends on the bottom. So it's an all natural. And then we're going to stick a little stash pocket in the back and people will just get a kick out of the fact that there's like a little stash pocket in the back. Right. So it was just, you know, it was so, it was so fun being able to do all those things. And then I got to work again with a lot of the, the people in the industry. You know, before going to levies, I designed stuff and worked with like D'Addario, Fender, Gibson, um, you know, Martin Guitars, a lot of brands, I, I've done work for them. And then going to Levy's, they had such a robust OEM business that I got to further develop that and probably made 600 products myself in the year and a half that I was there. I made stick bags, I made straps, I made stuff, you know, Fender, D'Addario, Marshall, Jackson, Charvel, uh, you know, all, all of the brands. So I feel like I've touched on or, you know, worked with every single one of these companies at yeah. some point. And that was, we, I had a good run there until COVID hit. And then in, you know, April, they probably needed to save on finances and on money and stuff like that. And uh, found myself back at Soldier. And when I found myself back, I realized how much I missed being here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was, there's something that happens in the corporate world where it's like, you know, we're check this design with these 20 people. And if they think it's viable, then it's a go. And I never had to do that before. Because, yeah. because so much I would relied on the gut of like, but I talked to them when I saw them, you know, like, but I talked, I already have, and, and I can't explain to you like that, where this comes from, but there people are, I, I, you know, if you hear something twice, the third time you hear it, you're acting, you know, if right. somebody's like, I want a blue Telecaster. You're like, that's great. Next person, I want a blue Telecaster. You're starting to look up the pricing and like where you're getting a blue Telecaster. The third one, you better have them in stock because this is a trend. You yeah. know? So it's really just listening and, you know, and trying to ping which things are the ones that are, you know, which direction your industry moving. I, I can see it a lot in, um, in the soldier product line because at Christmas time, we sold a mallard strap. This is most ridiculous. It's got birds and dogs and it's hunting. And then two days later, we sell another mallard strap. And then I was like, I'm going to put a post up about the mallard strap. Then we sell 15 mallard straps. And somebody's like, I got a mallard recording studio. And I'm, you know, mallard was the thing this Christmas. And right. um, 
So I know that there's uh, there are people are willing to purchase it. And also when you have like 1500 products, you can see the trends happening because there's more attention. So that's kind of, that's kind of what happened is um, I'm back at soldier now and, um, and I get to do whatever I want and I don't have to check with anybody. And I, you know, the benefit to small manufacturing is my mistakes are never gargantuan. My mistakes right. are like, I made this strap. I thought it was going to sell. We made five and eventually I'll sell those five, but I got five to deal with. I don't right. have a 500. You know, I, there could be the attraction, of course, going to work for a big company like that. It gives you that kind of validation that you can cut it, that you can make it. But then sure. you also just lose that, you lose lose the connection to your what you're doing and, and, and also the speed at which you can move. Mm-hmm. You can do so much more at a big company in terms of like, you know, making 500 straps at levies is much, much easier than it is likely to be at a soldier. But the process to get those 500 straps made and approved and distributed was is so complicated and yeah. you don't get to just run with your gut and uh, and do the things that way you want to do them you're someone else's employee your yeah. job is to do it the way that they want it to do them and that can be a really tough thing you know I, yeah. I, and i could totally see how great it is to be back back home back into the thing that you've created your baby and seeing where that takes you. You certainly are, have the capability to be successful and to thrive in the corporate world, but you have, have the creativity and connection with your end user that it's just, it's really nice to see you back back at the helm at, at Soldier, I think. Thank you. So Thank you. I think it's going to bode really well for the future for Soldier and, you know, eager to see what, what comes up next. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of times, there's a lot in the last year that has been, um, what do they call that? Imposter syndrome, where, you know, even when I was at uh, Soldier the first time, when I was there for, you know, before I left, people would always just say, I felt like there was a little bit of, well, you just did that, but you're just a one trick pony. Like you could just do that. And I was like, no, I can really do so much more. Some of the stuff I just haven't gotten to, or I'm too busy with this. And when I went to levies, I was like, let me, let me figure this out. Is that, am I just good at this one thing or can I um, do other things? And by being able to create a branded product for so many other people where it doesn't look like me, it doesn't look like them. It is really, you know, and sometimes in those accessories, I feel like the larger uh, brands, they're confused about who they are as well. Sure. I I feel the same way. I would love for somebody to come in. I love it when somebody comes in and is like, you are this, this, and this. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Because I was a little confused. Like I could be so many things and you just help me. Okay. Being able to kind of figure that out for myself that I I do know what I'm talking about. um, The, you know, it, it works there. It works here. It works for them. It works, you know, it works in so many different places. Um, so I think I come back to a soldier with more confidence in my own abilities and, you know, figuring out that it's been a hard road to get to that. I can be okay being different than everybody else. It's good that you're different. I mean, that's what sets you apart. You know, the last thing the guitar industry needed was another strap maker. But somehow, you know, you came in and became part of an industry that we that we can't be without. 
Like, you know, that I think that's one of the cool things that to me has made soldiers so special. And what you've done with it is, you know, no one really knew we needed it until you were there. And then once you're there, it's like, well, we can't, the guitar industry isn't the same without this, without this independent spirit and this dedication to quality and, and the one-on-one relationships that you have with not only the, the artists that are using the strap, but also the relationships you, that you've had with, with dealers over the years. Like, that's just something that is uh, unique and uh, that our industry needs that those touch points and those that human connection and interaction. And frankly, we just need something freaking cool like that, you know, like, like, yeah, like this, this guitar strap, like this person who made this strap, it's made in the U S they made it. And like, they talked to that artist that you see use it. Like they know each other. Like, you know, this strap was made for that. I don't know. Like that whole story is just so cool versus just someone making straps and other people just buying them. And there's really no connection between that. Yeah, I think that, you know, like I was saying before, uh, the music products industry, I have always been hesitant, you know, and you and I had talked a second about that. I've always been hesitant to um, reach out to other people because I feel like if I tell, you know, other manufacturers, especially, you know, in accessories or like larger companies. And sometimes you're looking for advice and direction and mentorship. And the worst person you can turn to is someone who's like, well, you know, if you tell me the things that you're scared about, I'm going to use them against you. you know? <laughs> and, um, and so really trying to figure out like, well, who can I talk to? Like today I'm freaking out about this. I don't know what to do. Who am I going to talk to? And it's been my retailers that I go back to, you know, it, I will still, uh, call the people at CME, call the people at Rock and Roll Vintage, call the, you know, call the guys in New York, call whoever it is and just be like, can you talk me off this ledge? And my relationship with my, with the, the dealers is the utmost importance to me. You know, I remember we started working with Sam Ash and a lot of my dealers, or no, it was Best Buy. And a lot of my dealers came up to me and they're like, well, you're going to be a Best Buy and we're not going to sell anything anymore. And, you know, we've also sold direct to customer since day one. Mm-hmm. Because I had to tell them like, you can only handle 40 straps and I've got 1500 and somebody wants that ugly one that you're never going to buy. And don't worry, they don't want to buy from me anyways, because they have to wait. They want right. it from you now, today. So I don't really feel like there's been an an issue there. But when I was dealing with the deal with Best Buy, um, I remember being like, okay, Best Buy, we're going to take this thing that is pretty common and we're just going to get the name out there so that the grandmas can give them to their grandsons and then they'll grow up as a soldier user and they'll come back to us. But when they become a real musician and go to a real store, they're coming to buy it from you, Donovan, at Springfield. You know, they're coming to buy it somewhere where it means where it means something. And um and I specifically narrowed down Best Buy's selection to 12 pieces, kind of said like, we will give these 12 to them, but you get the mother load. My independent retailers who supported me because like I said, I'm I'm true to the end. Like I wouldn't be here without you and I will never take that relationship for granted. So if I have to move in a direction where I have to, you know, involve these other people to like stay afloat, then I'm gonna make sure that my offer to you is just as good 
so that you can also continue to support us and stay afloat. Like I'm never going to sacrifice one for the other. And I also like it that in our product, we get to have such diversity because the offering's so big that you really, it is whatever's in your store is special and it's not going to be down the street. Sure. You know, just to keep it real, I do think that was a mistake that you made with Soldier putting in Best Buy. You know, that just, that, they are not cool. That, like, that, they're, what they're doing with the music store, like, I don't know. To me, it really seemed like, like, it didn't, like, bother me from a business perspective. Like, I'm not worried, like, oh, my gosh, like, how am I going to pay our rent now that Best Buy has soldier straps wasn't that. But it just really felt like something that's really off-brand, you know? Like, I always just feel the soldier, with soldier, is it's it's this personal connection, like I mentioned before. Like, you have a connection with the artist, you have a connection with the state, it's all these personal connections. And even being in something like uh, Sam Ash is fine, because, you know, the Ash family is still, like, I mean, they are Sam Ash music. Like they're actively involved. Sammy was a, a, a previous guest on my podcast. Like that whole mm-hmm. family's running that ship. So even though they're nationwide and it's, you know, one of the industry's biggest retailers, it, it, there's still a personal connection there. Best Buy wasn't about any of that. You know, they they saw the margins that were in it. And, and in my opinion, they saw the margins in, in the industry felt like that they could make a run at that and they had they were struggling and trying to find what their next thing was and you know that whole thing for them didn't work out and and i'm glad because we already we already have a soulless entity that's selling music products and all they give a shit about is making money we already have that you know we have a couple of those we've got amazon and we've got the national chain and um and we didn't need yet another one so that was you know to my opinion uh you know i saw that was like oh that's not really you know they should have like of course they're gonna have fender and of course they're gonna have roland they're gonna have all that kind of stuff because those brands you know of course they're gonna have that but they shouldn't have the cool shit man like they shouldn't they shouldn't have the indie stuff you know so, yeah but whatever. Well, and for us we see it as uh if they're gonna they're gonna carry somebody's stuff and you know and it's name recog- it's in its name recognition so um you know, in in some ways it's like well do i want to leave that door open and if they're willing i mean there have been a lot of retailers that are unwilling to part or make room for our product because they're supporting whatever, you know, whatever it is, their longstanding relationships and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, sometimes as a small manufacturer, when you're really trying to grow and you really want to be visible, you, you know, you take the bites where you can. And, of course. And but when your brand is perceived as being indie and being independent, to go over to like i mean these people are not even in the industry and like i don't know to me it just seemed like an off-brand moment and it's okay like i think sometimes that helps to define where one you know where just like when you said it's like well this isn't soldier like oh okay because you tend to think like well i created this therefore soldier well not necessarily soldier still has its its own kind of ethos and and brand and to me it felt off brand you know to to be there i still love you in the product like (laughs) i wasn't like i was just destroyed by it i wasn't outraged i wasn't like get rid of all this stuff you know (laughs) but i was just like but you know those guys failed anyway so (laughs) it's all growing pains 
It is. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's kind of what I'm saying is like, sometimes you don't realize something's off brand until you do it, you know? Um, and not this to say that you would agree with my opinion on that, but just, um, I, we've all been in those situations where we think it's okay. And then you do it and you realize, eh, maybe that could be okay for somebody, but not, not for me or not for my business. Hey folks, so Jen has generously uh, offered to give you a 10% off your first order of any soldier straps. So if this is something that you would like to do, which I would encourage you to do this, if you are not a soldier strap dealer and you sell guitar straps or ukulele straps, any other kind of straps, you totally should. It's a great product. And as you've heard or will hear from listening to this episode, Jen is a great person and it's a great company. So to get this discount, just give her my name, Donovan. So email them or call them and tell them Donovan sent you and you'll get 10% off your first order. In 2020, success meant survival. But for 2021, you need to lay the groundwork and make the changes in your business to reach new levels of success. And I want to help. Email me at donovan at musicretailconsulting.com for a free one-on-one Zoom meeting. Think about it. What problem are you facing that you could use some advice? What opportunities in front of you that you could use some coaching? This meeting is totally free with no sales push. And most of the time, this free meeting is all you need to solve your issue. If you'd like to continue, then it's only $500 per month. $500 for someone who's been there and can show you the way. For someone who took a single location and grew it to a five location business doing 7x the revenue. So if you're like me, you spent far more and gotten far less. So right now, while you're thinking about it, grab your phone and email donovan at musicretailconsulting.com. That's D-O-N-O-V-A-N at musicretailconsulting.com. And let's set up your free meeting. Now's the time. All right. So really fascinating. Let's, I, I always ask this final question. If you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago. So 10 years ago would have been roughly 2011, right around there. What would you send? What would you say? If you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, what would you say? Be brave and keep moving. Yes. Stop questioning yourself. I've spent a lot of my career willing and that is, and that will go back to being able to take criticism. One of the things that I'm learning this year is that I don't need to, I don't need to accept all this criticism that I have to really start to just hone in on the things that I know and be brave and be confident in my own actions. I spent so, you know, I feel like really, this is like something that has genuinely been coming up. I'm, I'm stopping my questioning of myself this year. I'm just going to be my authentic self, do all the things that I want to do. If an investor, you know, I talked to an investor who went back and told me the whole five things that are black, that's not me. So I'm not, I don't need to have those questions um, anymore. Be brave and keep moving because no business, you know, the time that you're stalling and you're thinking about whether you're doing the right thing or not, it's just, it's wasted time. Just keep going. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and in your case, especially soldier is so closely identified to you that, you know, any, your, your company is you and your thoughts and your directions and your feelings. So it's going to adjust and change. And plus you've proven to be successful with it. You'll have some missteps. Like, if, of course, like if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying. So you'll have some of that, but you should. Yeah. I love that. It's a hard thing to do. I don't know that I'm really all, always myself, especially when I'm representing my brand. I'm probably definitely not that you're, everyone's getting some tempered version of the thing I'd really like to say or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or think, and especially in social situations like social media, like I'm always very cognizant of that. And I, it's for two reasons. I mean, one, you know, I don't want to upset uh, customers that I may have connections with, but I also like don't necessarily want my opinions to affect the people that I work with. You know, because I look at my company as not my company, but our company. And so I may have personal opinions about politics or uh, religion or uh, anything like that. And I don't want my thoughts on that to, you know, be reflect on the people that I work with. I feel like that's kind of not fair. But in a company like Soldier, we're like, I mean, you are sold. You like you've founded it. You you've created it, and then people who have come there have come because they've been aligned to your vision. I think maybe you have a little more leeway with that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I try to I try to stay out of those conversations as well because, like you know, like I said, there everybody puts something different on it. Was somebody at one point somebody said you shouldn't be the face of soldier because what if they think it's just a bunch of dudes playing ping pong that somehow get straps made during the day? You know. By me putting my face and and in the industry, it's different, but like in social media and stuff like that, like, I think it would be, and I'm still, you know, on the fence with this one, but I think it's like, for me, it, it could be a misstep to really own it as the owner because soldier has a life of its own and I'm its steward. I'm the one who is taking it here and taking it there and taking it there. But like how everybody else feels about Soldier, I still don't have the results on those conversations. And I don't want to give them something that is not what they're feeling. If they think this is a hundred person factory, you know, somewhere else and it does X, Y, and Z, then they need to continue on with their story for themselves. And I will just, you know, present it in, in, in a way that helps people feel unity and community. That's my biggest message this year is Soldier is about, not about guitar straps, but about the community and supporting supporting all of the people who are Soldier users or future Soldier users and really tying that back into, we are a group of like-minded people and we care about each other. And sure. yeah, that's what Soldier is at the core, I think anyways. So, that's your message for this year. What message do you want to put in a time capsule to open up 10 years from now? So 2031, you're going to open this message from yourself. What's what's it going to be? You did it. (laughs) You won. Nice. (laughs) Congratulations (laughs) on being a target. Um, No, I don't know. Yeah, I've got huge missions for for the brand. Like I said, I don't think that it it, it it starts in the music industry, which is the coolest thing because everybody wants a piece of the music industry. But I really feel like it's a lifestyle brand and it can translate in so many ways um, throughout 
all the people who, you know, my newest tagline is for musicians and music lovers. And who isn't a musician or a music lover? You know, mm -hmm. music means something to all of us. So it's not just, we're, I'm not just capping it off at guitarists. Uh, I, I want to bring everyone into the fold to, you know, the group of like-minded individuals. But I will say I have one quote, an Andy Warhol quote that um, I have for people like me or people who are confused or not to, to sure what to do with feedback. And I kind of lived by this quote probably since you said like 2011. And I'm just going to, can I read it to you real quick? Please. Okay. Don't think about making art, just get it done. Let everyone else decide if it's good or bad, whether they love it or hate it. And while they're deciding, make more art. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. If you'd like help with your business, check out musicretailconsulting.com for articles, resources, and coaching and consulting services. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast so you're aware of future updates and rate and review while you're at it. Thanks for listening.